Okay, it's time for the scripture reading today. Hear the word of the Lord from Mark 3, verses 7 through 19. Jesus departed with his disciples to the sea, and a large crowd followed from Galilee, and a large crowd followed from Judea, Jerusalem, Edomia, beyond the Jordan, and around Tyre and Sidon. The large crowd came to him because they heard about everything he was doing. Then he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him so the crowd wouldn't crush him. Since he had healed many, all who had diseases were pressing toward him to touch him. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God! And he would strongly warn them not to make him known. Jesus went up to the mountain and summoned those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, to be with him, to send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. He appointed the 12 to Simon, he gave the name Peter, and to James, the son of Zebedee, and to his brother John, he gave the name Bonegras, okay, <laughs> that is sons of thunder, <laughs> Andrew, Philip, and Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thomas, James, and the son of Phias, and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and uh, Judas Escarat, who, who also betrayed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yeah, every now and then, get some funny names up in there. You just got to read it with confidence, because nobody else knows either. <laughs> All right, so uh, it's our practice to continue uh, working through books of the Bible. So we're working through the book of Mark, and this we're at today. Um, I have a question for you. Have you ever had a time in life where you felt there was a lot of heavy burdens and you're like, if one more thing falls on me, I'm not going to be able to handle it. You ever felt that? If one, I'm about to slap somebody. If somebody else say something crazy to me, like, you know what I mean? Like, okay, we all have been there, okay? What, what I want you to see in this text is I want you to see the load of the man Jesus Christ Keep on building and building and building. And the reality is that the load of life is heavy, but surely the, lo- the load of ministry and service is heavy. Whether, whether you work as a pastor or not, we're called to serve and help those around us. Does that ever get heavy? That gets heavy sometimes, yeah? And it's like, man, I don't even know if I can bear this. Or here's, here's the thing that we learn from this passage is that Jesus does not expect us to bear the load of ministry by ourselves. He does not expect us to bear the load of serving others by ourselves. Because in the text, we'll see that he himself did not expect that he would bear the load of ministry by himself. Jesus expects us all to share the load of ministry. Let's ask for his help. Jesus, would you please help us to understand your word, to see what what you are saying in it? Would you speak directly to our hearts? And would you give us a posture of obedience that when we hear you speak, our heart would say, yes, I want to obey. That can only happen by a gift from the Spirit. So I ask you to pour out the Holy Spirit as we are looking at your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 
All right, we're going to look at verse 7 and 13, and, and what, really what we're going to look at is just the intensity of the ministry of Jesus. Look at verse 7. Jesus departed with his disciples to the sea. All right, context, we'll share a little context. What happened just before this verse is that people were planning to kill him. All right, so he's not just going to the sea because it's a fun thing to do. He's fleeing for his life. Okay, that's all, so that's already on the slate. Okay, Jesus departed with his disciples to the sea, and a large crowd from Galilee, and a large crowd from Judea, Jerusalem, Edomia, beyond the Jordan, and around Tyre, and Sidon. The large crowd came to him because they heard about everything he was doing. Then he, listen to this, then he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him so that the crowd wouldn't crush him. Since he had healed so many, all who had diseases were pressing toward him to touch him. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he would strongly warn them not to make him known. Now listen, whenever we see Jesus in the text, particularly in the Gospels, I think we forget something very key about him. Jesus is fully God. Yet at the same time, he's a man, which means he has the limitations of humanity. He doesn't have a, 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 an unlimited source of strength because he took on our frail humanity. And I don't think you have an unlimited source of strength, do you? You can't just keep going and going and going. We're not the Energizer Bunny up in here. We remember he has to flee from those who want to kill him. That is the context. He's, he's getting on the boat because people are saying, we're going we're gonna to kill this dude. And this, this is interesting because it teaches us that the ministry of the kingdom of God has enemies. If you or I are going to say, hey, let's go and follow Jesus. Let's go help people in the name of Jesus. You need to get ready because there are enemies out there to stop that. There are spiritual enemies. And Paul says in Ephesians 6, 12, it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. What he's saying is when, when you look around, all you see is, is flesh and blood. You look around and you can see maybe things that you can uh, uh, reason out. Well, he did that because of this, that, and the other. But what he's saying is when you see real evil at work around you, there are spiritual beings behind the evil that we see. John, and Jesus says in John 10, 10 says that, that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy when you see things being stolen, when you, when you see good from life being stolen, when you, when you see things dying, when, when you see things just being destroyed in front of your eyes, you can be sure that there is a satanic element going on. Not only that, this part's crazy. The scripture says that there are actually evil people out to destroy God's kingdom. Look, look at 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 and 2. It says, in addition, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored, just as it is with you. Listen to this. And that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not all have faith. We don't like to talk about that. He just had a mistake. Paul said, no, nah, he's evil. He's tripping. That's what he's saying. And look, look, the context of the verse, we see that. We have the Pharisees and the Herodians. These are uh, the religious leaders and some of the political leaders. And they're working together. They're planning together to try to get a plot to kill Jesus. That is evil and wicked. 
And these evil and wicked men set, set their plans to crucify Jesus. And we see evil and wickedness among us today. The Bible is very clear that, that, that as time goes on, there will be false teachers. And there are false teachers among us today. That some would preach Christ for selfish motive and manipulate people to get money. We see that. That people's pockets are getting fatter because they're preaching about a savior who was homeless. That does not make sense. Oh, not only that, I, there, there, there are, the social media is an interesting place. There's, there's some good stuff there, but there's also some weird stuff. And, and there's, this, there's this place I like to call uh, progressive Christian TikTok. And all that is dedicated is it's dedicated to trying to tear down your faith. There's people come up and say, the Bible says this, but it don't. That, that, is, that is literally what they say. People are, are working actively to try to deconstruct your faith. That, that the Bible will call this evil and wicked. Not only that, we have persecutors. You know, there, there are countries, present day, present tense, that if you were to say, I follow Christ, they will seek to kill you. I'm not talking about back in the day. I'm talking about in northern Nigeria today. Okay? So, so listen, th- th- there is some, some real evil that, that is coming up against the kingdom of God. And, and you need to see that Jesus, as a man, is filling the weight of all of this. Multitudes are coming to him. Look, the, the, it's like they come from there and there and there and there. That's my translation. They come from all everywhere. All these countries are coming over to see Jesus. And the reality is, in this passage, you see that the needs do not end. The needs are not, like, it's not like Jesus doesn't get to the end of the day and goes, oh, I'm, I finished it. No, there's more. Because more people need help, and more people are sick, and more people need hope. And, and, and it's just never ending. I remember when I was planning to prepare this church, and the, the guy who, who helped train me, Pastor Todd, he said, listen, I want you to understand something. Well, I know that you like to accomplish goals. I know that you like to kind of check stuff off the box. But you need to understand that whatever you decide to end your day, you have to end it because it's not going to be done. Whenever you decide to go home, you just need to go home. Because it's not going to be done. That, that is the way. Listen, listen. Do people ever stop needing help? No. No, listen. So you need to feel the weight. Listen, listen. If you are involved in vocational ministry or if you're just trying to be a faithful Christian, you need to understand that you will have to fight for rest. You'll have to fight for it. Because your calendar will drive you and drive you insane. If you don't go, listen, I'm not the almighty. I have limitations. I am a human. I cannot do all the stuff. You have to set, like, I need some time to rest and be with the Lord. We can see in this passage that he is having to put safety measures up for his ministry. Remember, he says, can you get me on the boat so they won't crush me? That they're pressing towards him. Listen, listen, here's what you understand. Limits in life and ministry are necessary. Limits in life and ministry are necessary. You don't have an infinite amount of energy, an infinite amount of reserve. If you live like that, you will find yourself down and out, tired and frustrated. Here's the reality. If Christ Jesus 
embrace his limits, then you need to as well. If Christ Jesus embraced his limits, because what he, what he does is he's embracing his limits because he, then he, in this passage, he goes and appoints helpers. He's like, I can't do it all. Y'all need to come up and help me. If Christ Jesus uh, uh, embraced limits, you need to as well. Here, here the, one of the, the authors I love to write, uh, read, excuse me, is, is Peace Cazaro. And he, he writes stuff called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And he talks about that, that you need to recognize what your limits are. Don't, don't think like you don't have any. According to him, some limits can be your personality. Listen, some people are like crazy extroverted. Some people need more time. You need to know yourself. I know y'all think I'm an extrovert because I talk a lot, but I need some time. You just need to know yourself. Not only that, listen, some of you are in different seasons of life, which means that you have more limits than you're used to. Listen, I have three small children. I can't be out every night doing ministry, right? Because of the season of my life, I have to be responsible and care for my family. Your season of life is going to change, which means your limits are going to change. And sometimes you just have life circumstances that are just out of your control that happens that means that you have a limit. To, listen, this, today, this day, I was supposed to be in Asia preaching. But some, some, some crisis happened at the church, and as I was a limit, I got to be here. You have limits, and they don't mean that, that you are wrong or bad or, or extraordinarily weak. You have to live like the human that you are. What's interesting is, in the midst of these limits, in the midst of Jesus is like, I'm about to die. You know, <laughs> Jesus is bringing the rule and reign of God into the lives of people. Look at the good that is happening in the midst of his ministry difficulty. Now, remember, he's like, I'm about to die. Y'all can y'all up on me. I'm tired. And people are getting healed. Demons are getting cast out. This is the, this is the paradox of, of ministry. 2 Corinthians 4, this is what Paul says. He, says. he says, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. So then death is at work in us, but life in you. What he's saying is, listen, when I'm doing ministry, it's like I'm dying over and over and over again. But even in that death, Christ is producing life and good in you. That's the paradox of ministry that is it's taxing and hard and it, and it gets in the way. But still, at the same time, God uses it to produce much good. We need to have faith that God works even in the midst of hardships. Even when you're like, what? Huh? What is going on? No, no, God is still at work. God is still at work. I want you to be like absolutely honest with you. Over the course of planting this church, if I gauged, if I gauged ministry, if I gauged ministry success and let that be how I feel, I would have quit a lot. Okay? If I was like, I feel like it's going awesome, I would like bye. But listen, listen, that misunderstands what scripture scripture teaches about ministry. That if you're going to love and you're going to serve and you're going to teach, that means death is at work in you. Yet, yet, life is at work in those around you. 
The reality is, in our culture, we too often have a short-term view of joy and fulfillment. If something doesn't make me happy right now, then God must not be in it because I don't like it. Do you understand that if Jesus thought that way, we would not have any salvation? If Jesus was like, I don't like this thing in the garden, I don't really want to get up on this cross, I'm not feeling that. I'm not feeling that today. If he thought like that, we would be stuck in our sins. So so we need to, to be cognizant of this type of thought process. Listen, listen, sometimes when you are obeying God, it is going to be frustrating. Sometimes when you are serving others, you are going to want to hit your head against the wall. And if you decide that because you don't feel good that you're not going to serve people, then nobody's going to get served. So we got this paradox, right? Because I just talked about the limit thing, right? Jesus says you got limits. But don't use that as, as an excuse to not do nothing, though. Right? See, you see that paradox? You, you need to be careful with your time, but don't, don't be so careful that you, that you shy away from suffering for the sake of the kingdom because that's the only way that life is at work in others. We can see in this passage that there is an obvious capacity issue in the ministry. Though Jesus was fully God, he limited himself to the bounds of humanity. Listen to what it says in Philippians 2. It says, Jesus, who existed in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. Listen, listen. The God who who needed no sleep got sleepy. The God who didn't have to eat got hungry. The God who had a limited strength felt weakness. This is what Jesus has done in coming to earth for us. He limited himself because of love. The reality is, the amount of ministry that Jesus is doing in this passage is unsustainable for one man. That's the point. Crazy has happened. They're about to kill him. He's like, y'all, 12 apostles, come up over here. You need to help me. (laughs) The amount of ministry is unsustainable for one man. The ministry of the church is unsustainable for one man or for a small group of people. You need to hear that. We live in an age of celebrity Christians where people want to paint this picture like they got everything together. That's not true. We have weaknesses. We have limits. Your leaders have limits, which means you need to pray for us. So Jesus, in verse 13, he appoints a people to help conduct his ministry. 13, it says, Jesus went up to the mountain and summoned those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12, whom he named apostles, to be with him, to send them out to preach, and to have authority to drive out demons. Sorry, right, so Jesus is feeling this pressure, both literally and physically uh, and emotionally. He's feeling this pressure, and he goes to the mountain. Now, in the scriptures, the mountain is a place of prayer. Okay, so he goes, he's like, I need to go be with the Father. I'm exhausted. I'm confused. I don't know exactly. Like, I, I don't know if I can handle everything that's going on. Listen, the, the question for us is, where do we go in our moments of exhaustion? Do we go seek time with the Father? Or do we numb ourselves with Netflix? Yeah? Do we actually go sit with the one who can give us true, genuine rest? Or do we just be couch potatoes? 
That's for me too, y'all. I'm just keeping it 100. When we are exhausted, do we go to the one who is the fountain of strength and wisdom? That, we have to follow Jesus' example in that. And so when, when Jesus is, is going up to the mountain to pray, I think he gives us an example. I don't, it doesn't say exactly what he prayed about, but I can guess he was asking the Lord for more help. I think that's a feasible thing to, to think about what he was doing. In Matthew 9, 38, he actually instructs, he says, therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. I'm sure he's looking at the crowds that are pressing in on him. He's saying, Father, I, I need some people. I need some people to help me. And here's the craziest thing. In, in seeking the Lord of the harvest for more workers, you may find that the Lord is calling you. I need to say this with, with, with graciousness and gentleness, but I need to say this. If you are a spectator in the kingdom, you are putting unfair pressure on the team. If you are a spectator in the kingdom, you are putting unfair pressure on the team. Let me explain this. One time I was in this, I was playing this rec league basketball. I thought it was going to be fun, but these fools had like jerseys and everything. I was just trying to exercise. They all like, y'all wild. Anyway, we, we're playing this rec league thing. And, and you know, we, start, we started with like, I don't know, around 10 people. But as the season went on, them people just started dropping because we was losing. Anyway, it just started dropping and dropping and dropping. I remember the last game, wasn't nothing but five of us. The other team had subs and subs and subs. And we out there just struggling, running up and down the court, running up and down the court. And I'm like, why did they quit? Because they quit, I got to do extra work. That's how it works in the kingdom. If you were just observing people doing ministry, oh, that's really cool. I'm glad they did that thing. You, you aren't actually contributing. You're putting more pressure on the people who are doing the work. So it is a loving thing to do, to say, no, I'm going, I'm going to serve. I'm going, I'm going to step out. I need to, I need to get some shout-outs. I, I feel good about shout-outs because Paul did that in his letters. He did it. Now listen, I'm a shout-out. We needed somebody to step up for worship. Lord Beth, thank you. I didn't even have to ask her. She said, I'll do it. We need somebody to help with kids ministry for the time being. Olivia, thank you. I, did, I didn't ask either one of them. They said, I, need, I see the team struggling. I'm going to step up. We, that is the posture that we need. Now, listen to what he did. I, I just love what, what it says. It says, he appointed 12 whom he named apostles to be with him and send them out to preach. What I love is, is Jesus, it says Jesus chose the 12. It wasn't like these was the 12 best guys out there. It wasn't like there was a tryout. He's like, you, 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 and you, and you, with all your crazy names, come on over here. Listen, he chose people to come to him. And he says this to him in John 15, 16. He says to them, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Listen, listen, I want you to hear Jesus saying that to you if you follow him. I chose you. And you need to marvel at that because if you have a, a real clear assessment of yourself, you're not like, man, I was, of course you chose me. I'm like, wow, look at me. <laughs> I'm awesome. No, look, fam, let's keep it 100. No, you're not. You're all right. You're all right. And Jesus said, you, you, come here. Jesus, let me hear this. Jesus wants you. Jesus chose you. You. 
So he calls them, he says, you come up up here. And he says, then he calls them to be apostles. And, and apostles is kind of a fancy word. It means like an ambassador. All right? So, so, so he, want, he wants ambassadors for him. And the good question is, Jesus is like, hey, I want you to go represent me. And a good question is like, well, how do, I, how do I prepare to do that? That seems important. How do I prepare to represent you, Jesus? What I, lo- I love the scripture because he says, he named them apostles. And then it says, he called them to be with him. That's step one. Step one, be with Jesus. He calls us into fellowship with him. Before you do anything publicly in ministry, you are called to sit and to be with Jesus. Our training ground for effectiveness, to be a conduit of of life and service in this world, is that we are simply being with Christ. And you're like, well, how do we do that? I'm glad you asked. The way that we do that is these these simple types of disciplines that we teach about spending time in prayer, about meditating on Scripture. You're like, that don't seem so exciting to me. That's the way that you spend time with Jesus. As a pastor, I I rack my mind trying to figure out how can I teach people to spend time with Jesus. And I was pondering that this week. And I, I remember when I was in, you know, middle and high school when people had crushes on people. You know, they, people was having crushes on people. Listen, listen, didn't nobody tell nobody how to be around somebody. They figured that thing out. Right? He, why are you standing there? I'm just, I'm just standing over here. Listen, listen. No amount of teaching can compensate for your lack of desire. You hear me? No amount of me telling you how to do it is going to compensate for you wanting to do it. So, so the first thing is, is, Lord, give me a desire to be with you. And I promise you, it'll come. You'll learn to read that scripture, and you'll learn to persevere in prayer. Jesus is calling us to be before you do. And then he teaches them to speak about and demonstrate the kingdom. He says, I want you to go preach, I want you to cast out demons. They're going around talking about, hey, Jesus is Lord. He's the king. He's the king of all things. And they're praying for people. And they're serving people. So Jesus chose you. Calls you to be his ambassador. Calls you to be with him. And calls you to speak about him. Pray for others and serve in his name. Now let's get to the funny names, okay? Jesus appoints a diverse group of people to represent him. And I'm going to read the scripture. And y'all going to know if I said it right or not because y'all don't know how to say it. Anyway. He appointed the twelve. To Simon he gave the name Peter. And to James, the son of Zebedee, and to his brother John, he gave the name <laughs> That is sons of thunder. You like how he translated though? You're like, what does that mean, sons of thunder? Okay. Andrew, Philip, and Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zelo. All right. What you need to understand is that these disciples are coming from different backgrounds. Okay. Some of them are fishermen. We got that example. And fishermen, do you know how, like, um, people, if you're in the Navy, I'm sorry, uh, excuse me, but people in the Navy, they have, like, kind of a bad rep because around the ports they be doing shady stuff. That, that, they were shady. I just need you to understand that. Fishermen were shady. They were, they were doing shady stuff around the ports. So you got fishermen, then you got tax collectors. Tax collectors are people who would extort. They're getting some money, and they put it in their pockets. So you got some tax collectors. And then you got this dude called a zealot. What's a zealot? A zealot is somebody who is excited about God and will kill people about it. 
That's, that's what it is. You, you got some crazy fools up in here, right? You got fishermen, you got tax collector, you got zealot, um, you know, jihad for Jesus over there. And then you got some folks who said that they were religious disciples of John the Baptist. I mean, they were like, what is we doing up in here? <laughs> you call him Jesus. You know he got a sword. Anyway, they're coming from different backgrounds, and, and they have different personalities. The reason that you would name some people sons of thunder is because they loud. <laughs> here come thunder twins again. You know, like, like chill out, bro. You know, you got, you got somebody being real loud. You got this one dude named Thomas. His nickname is Doubting Thomas. You tell something Thomas, Thomas like, for real, though. You got Peter. He's a brawler. Peter, Jesus get attacked, and Peter start cutting people's ear off. You got someone who's ready to fight at any moment. Then, then you, got, you got a poet, too. I don't know if you've ever seen in John 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was God. You're like, bro, that's very poetic. You got all kinds of personalities working together. This teaches us that Jesus uses a diverse church to expand his kingdom. This means that you don't need to look at one another wishing you were like the other one. You, you, you might look like, oh, look at their personality. It's so great. No, God made you the way he made you. Or some of you might look and be like, man, my life was so bad, but look, their life was so good. I feel so bad. Listen, listen, listen. Jesus calls people from every type of situation, from any type of past, with any type of skill set, and any type of personality, and the reason that the church works together is because he pulls all those types of people together. There's, there's, no, there's, no, there's no reason for any pride because you feel extra good about your, your, your uh, past or, or any shame because you feel extra bad. No, Jesus is creating this, this beautiful tapestry in the church, and he has put you here so that you and your unique personality, with your unique past, with your unique gifts and skill sets, that you would be a blessing. Now, we've got to deal with verse 19. Verse 19 says, and so he, called, he says, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. The question is, what do we do when those who are with us leave us? What do we do? First, we need to understand that it is not a surprise to Jesus. Listen, I'm pretty sure when Judas decided to betray Jesus, everybody was like, what? What? Ju- Judas, what you doing, bro? You ain't been with us? Everybody was surprised except one. Jesus wasn't surprised. You know, it, I want to be a little bit transparent. I, I cannot tell you how many people that I used to walk with the Lord with do not walk with him. I'm, talk- I'm not talking about, I'm talking about we had soul conversations we were praying. We were do, like, like the, I, the list is long in my mind. And sometimes I'm like, doggone, where did you go? I need to remember in those times that it surprised me. But it did not surprise Jesus. Listen, people depart from the faith for a variety of different reasons. Some is just straight up, they want to sin. And they made a really fancy argument, but they, they just really wanted to sin, okay? Let's just keep it 100. And at the end of 2 Timothy, Paul says, he talked about this dude named Demas. He says, Demas left me. He was in love with the world. That's why he left. Now, some people are, are genuinely deceived by false doctrine. 
Some people are hurt in the context of ministry, are in church, and that causes them to leave. With Judas, he had this love of money. Some people have a love of power or pleasure. Whatever the reason people leave, we need to know that Christ is not caught off guard. So what do we do? When that happens, when, when someone who, who was walking with us is not, what, what do we do? The first thing is that we need to be honest and we need to grieve together. So Jesus betrayed Jesus. Jesus dies on the cross. And when Jesus resurrected, you know where he found the disciples? They was hiding, but they was hiding together. They were grieving together. I'm sure they were reviewing it. Man, do you, do you remember what happened? Do you, do you remember what, when, when Judas said the thing? Do you, do you remember when they took Jesus away? Like, how could that happen? I can't even believe I'm sure that they were processing that thing together. But here's, here's the one thing that I love. They didn't stay there. They grieved together, but the reason we still know about them is because they went about their business. After they grieved together, they went and did the mission. After they processed, they said, well, we still got to preach the gospel to the nations. After we grieve, we move forward with the mission. With the help of the Holy Spirit, they accomplished their mission. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, so can we. So here's the deal. Christ died and rose again to give us entrance into his kingdom. This kingdom that is marked with joy and peace and love and forgiveness and righteousness. Christ pursued us to the point of death. Then he rose from the dead. And this, this is one of the most beautiful things with the gospel to me. When Jesus rose from the dead, it's like the father was saying, hey, he's innocent. Just don't nobody get it twisted. You thought he died because he was a sinner. No, nah, he's innocent. I'm going to prove it by raising him from the dead. So he gets acclaim and glory and justification. And what's crazy is he didn't keep that to himself. He gives it to us so that when the father looks at us, he sees the just, just, righteous life of Christ, and we get this glory that we didn't earn. He shares with us the benefits of his resurrection. But not only that, Christ ascends into heaven, and he sends the Spirit. Why? To multiply his ministry through us. To multiply his ministry through us. In the book of Acts, so it's so a little, little Bible nerd stuff. The book of Luke and the book of Acts kind of join together. It's like part one and part two, okay? And the book of Acts, he says, now I told you everything that Jesus began to do. Well, what are you talking about he began? He died in Luke. He, what are you talking about? He's saying, listen, Jesus' work is continuing through the church. His work to love and to serve and to preach and to pray, that continues through the work of the church. So what does that mean for us? That just like in the gospel, when Jesus says, I'm going to appoint some people to help me, he does that today with us. That if you are a Christian, that means he has appointed you to serve in his mission. That means at least two things. Like, well, how do I get ready for that? Be with Jesus. <laughs> that you, you would carve out time where you would say, I'm going to read the scriptures. I'm going to pray. I don't know how to do this thing, but I'm going to figure it out. When you like someone... You figure out how to be with them, okay? We've established that. So we be with Jesus, and, 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 and finally what we do is we share 
the load of ministry. There's this rule in church. It's called the 80-20 rule. It's a horrible rule because when I tell you, you're going to be like, oh, that's sad. The rule, it goes that 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. That's the rule. And it came from somewhere. <laughs> Listen, this isn't my ministry. It's not the elders' ministry. It's our ministry. It's our church. We all have ownership of what happens, and we all have, have, have a responsibility to serve and to care. So that means really practical things. And listen, I'm not saying these things because I don't see it. I do see it. I see people caring for others in the church, going out of their way to be there for people when people are hurting. And I'm saying continue to do that. I see people serving the needs of others in the church. I said continue to do that. And I'm asking you that, that when we seek to preach and demonstrate the kingdom, when, when Christine rattles off the list of the 75 things we're doing, you, have, you need to come and you need to help. I just want to paint this picture. So when we, we've been doing two weeks, uh, we have two weeks so far of, uh, of, of our student ministry. And I remember I was, we were talking one time and I, I made this passing comment, comment because I'm a pastor. Hey, Jesus rose from the dead. You know, it's basic stuff. Somebody said, excuse me, what you just say? He rose from the who? Jesus rose from the dead. I just want you to understand where we're at. There, 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 are, there are, are tangible ways that you can speak about the goodness of Jesus to people who do not know it. That's why the opportunities are there. Not so that we can spend our time doing random stuff but so that we can preach about Jesus and pray for people and serve tangible needs. I don't prepare a conclusion, so I'm done. But here's the deal. Jesus has a ministry to accomplish, and he wants to accomplish it through y'all. So you need to carve out time to be with him, and you need to share the load of ministry. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you so much for uh, your word and, and, and how, it, it, even though it was written thousands of years ago, it still, it still has power today. It describes the conditions of today. It gives instruction today. And Father, I pray that you would empower people to serve you this morning. But I pray for those who who are on the fence. Maybe they, they're like, I don't know if I have what it takes to serve. I don't know if I have the skills to do this, that, and the other. But Lord, I pray that they would just trust you and show up and serve. Lord God, that, that, that there is a blessing in serving. And even if it's hard, even if, even if it's as Paul says, even if it's death working in us, that means that it is life working in others. And Lord, we want to see life at work in our community. So give us grace to walk the path of Jesus, the path of the cross, so that we would see the fruits of the resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen.